You're now listening to the Major League Real Estate Podcast, Episode 11. Welcome to the Major League Real Estate Podcast, a podcast for operators of large-scale real estate portfolios. My name is Brandon Hall, and I'm your host. Together with my co-host, Dylan Brown, we talk about tax and legal strategies, and we bring on operators of large portfolios for in-depth discussions on how they grew their business. We hope you enjoy, and with that, let's get to it. Welcome to another episode of the Major League Real Estate Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Dylan. How are you doing today, buddy? Awesome, man. It's the start of busy season, so everybody's all hands on deck, and that's really what I thrive off of. You know, I love these long days where we're all teams together and we're all working towards a central goal. It's kind of the most exhilarating time of year. So, Yeah, definitely high energy, high output, that's for sure. Or I guess potentially even low energy, depending on, depending on what time of the day it is. I also just realized I said... What's up, buddy? I don't think I've called anybody buddy in like a decade. I'm turning into my dad. This is embarrassing. So I apologize. That's all right. That's all right. I won't hold it against you too much. We'll see. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you. All right. What are we hitting today? What, what's the topic of today's conversation? It's timely because it's tis the season, right? And we're talking about how can our listeners get K-1s out to their investors faster? What can they do? What should they be on the lookout for? What are the five things that kind of typically we see get in the way of that. And then we're going to pose solutions for all those five things. Yep. Yeah. Because if you don't get the K-1s out fast, all your investors are going to be really mad and hitting you up constantly. And it's a, a real drag on your ability to get things done. But before we jump into that, we want to start with our CPA insights segment. And we've got a big announcement from the IRS saying, don't wait on the house bill to file your tax returns. What do you think about that? Hey, man. I mean, they've said this in the past, right? They seem to think that they've got the wherewithal to, you know, process changes on the back end and send them out automatically. And I think that's great for 95% of the taxpayers out there. The problem is the other 5% who makes up like 90% of our listener and our client base, right? So we're stuck here thinking, okay, the IRS is giving everybody, our clients included, this advice to say, go ahead and file your tax returns anyway, and we'll fix it on the back end. We'll send you a you know, check or whatever. Yeah, that's not going to work with bonus depreciation or research and development uh, capitalization versus expensing, that kind of thing. When you really start to get into the weeds with our business clients, I think that they should put a pretty big asterisk out there for those people because I have a hard time believing the IRS is going to have any a clue how to adjust uh, depreciation on a return that's been filed, especially if it's got a thousand K-1s going out to partners and things of the sort. Well, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine though, like, how would that even work? We're in what, May, June? That's when the adjustments will probably take place. So they're going to adjust your depreciation schedule for a return that you filed in February, early March. And then what are they going to do? They're going to apply that adjustment to all the K-1s. They're going to get all the allocations correct. And then they're going to update all of the 1040s as well. There's just zero yeah. chance. <laughs> I had to do just one of my clients. I'm just thinking if I'm an IRS agent and I just had one of my clients with a partnership with a hundred partners and I had to do that, it'd probably take me a whole month before I reconciled everybody's individual return too. So to yeah. do that at scale, it's just not feasible. I don't think they have, I mean, I'd be very impressed, but I'm thinking that this is mostly an announcement geared towards those folks who are just waiting on that change from the child tax credit. And a simple change like that is easy, right? They can just pass through. And if you get another check in the mail, that's easy. You can do that pretty easily with an automated system. So at the time of this recording, it's February 1st. The bill just passed the House last night. And now it's on to the Senate. The Senate has a recess on February 12th. 
and there are aides now saying that the Senate might not even get to this bill before that recess. Hopefully they do, but assuming that they don't, we're probably into March before this thing actually gets passed and signed. Um, it is supported by everybody in the process. It is a very popular bill, so we are expecting that this will make it all the way through at this point. But if you're listening to this podcast, you're either running a large real estate portfolio, you want to run a large real estate portfolio, or you are probably a service provider of people that are running large real estate portfolios. So if I'm running a large real estate portfolio, whether or not I have investors, what should I do? Should I go ahead and file my return or should I wait? I'm going to go ahead and say, wait, I think the best thing that anybody listening to this podcast can do would be to start the communication with the investors who are going to care and kind of explain to them what the situation is and why this has such an impact on the filing of the return. And understanding too, it's got multiple layers that we have to go through. Even if this thing was to pass tomorrow, all of our software vendors who are helping the CPAs out there prepare these tax returns, it's going to take weeks for them to roll out updates that are going to take into account these changes. So we really are looking at quite a runway, even in the best case scenario. So it's just it's all about starting that communication now and to say, here's a clear timeline that once it's passed, we will have the ability to provide K-1s after that's passed in X number of weeks. And I think that would be a good place to start. That's a great point. You know, I was just on another podcast and was talking about the second, third order effects of this legislation passing, one of which was the software companies have to update all of their software, right? So we all, as professionals, we use enterprise level software and those companies have to update their source code to account for the fact that it's not 80% bonus depreciation anymore. It's a hundred percent. And we have to wait on them to make those updates before we can really finalize the tax return. So it's not just we signed this legislation. It is now law. You're still probably two weeks out after that before we can really start filing anything. Exactly. My only hope is that the IRS doesn't pull another 2020 and just extend the entire deadline for everybody. That would be that would be the one thing. If that happened, I think we'd see quite an uproar. I remember back in 2020 when that happened during COVID and it was something else. So I'm knocking on wood. I'm not actually doing it because I don't want it to come through the mic, but the proverbial knock on wood, let's not have something like that happen. Well, here's to hoping. Well, let's go ahead and jump into today's episode, which is how to get K-1s out faster. Hit me with, hit me with the first one. What do you got? So one of the first five roadblocks that I think a lot of people have ran into is a delay in delivering financials to the tax team. And I think we start with that one because it's the most obvious one. Obviously, a tax team who's in charge of putting out a tax return for your syndication is going to need financials to do so. And there's a lot of things that can get in the way of delivering them timely. But we're going to talk about you know bookkeeping being the number one thing. You want to have a conversation with your bookkeeper if you have an outsourced or an in-house bookkeeper about the timeline. And really, those people should be talking directly to the CPAs and understanding the timeline that the CPA needs. So for example, here at Hall, we set a very firm deadline with our external bookkeepers to say February 2nd, which is, by the way, it's tomorrow. That's the hard and fast deadline we're hoping to see those books in. So it really, it lights a fire for them. So they have that in their mind. They know that's the time we need to abide by to facilitate it with our tax team. So that's number one is, is just as a delay in delivering financials to the tax team. Great, great thoughts. I, I would say the second one is delaying processing owner information, right? So if you don't have an accurate cap table that you are maintaining on an ongoing basis, when are you updating all of that? You're updating it in January and February, probably at the request of your CPA. So if you can get into the habit of making sure that your cap table is updated probably on a quarterly basis, because there's, there's always people coming and going. Well, not always, but sometimes there's people coming and going. You definitely want to make 
sure that your cap table reflects that. Any ownership changes, the CPA will need to track and get into that tax return and those K-1s is really important. So that just kind of echoes Dylan's point about detailed record keeping. You want to make sure that you're on top of all of that so that you're not figuring it out in February with your accounting team and then just delaying filing further. And that is probably one I mean, between between the financials and this, just the ownership changes and information like it's amazing how often we try to prepare K-1s. We don't have all the ownership information. We, we might have the first name and the last name and maybe the stake, but we don't know where they live and like all the other stuff that we need, their social security number. So making sure that all of that is complete before handing it off to your CPA will prevent you from having delays. And I would say probably those two things are the biggest. We've got some other things to discuss here, but, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but with preparing large partnership tax returns, it's not necessarily like, oh, 163J is holding me up, right? It's not really the cost sake. Sometimes the cost sake, but it's not really. What it really is, is like, dude, we we're, we need the social security number or we need yeah. the 10 for the, the IRA or whatever, you know? Yeah, it's exactly, like- exactly. <laughs> I spend 70% of the time that should be spent on tax. I spend it tracking down the one straggler that I need to put on a K-1 that is holding up the rest of the returns. So two quick tips on that piece. If you've got ownership changes, a lot of the softwares out there for cap tables, they don't really have a specific column for that. So if you can export to Excel and you can just have an extra column there that it lists all the dates that people came and went, that helps a lot. And if you know people are coming and going, compile that documentation ahead of time. You know, there should be some sort of sale document, some sort of purchase agreement. Just put that all in a nice zip file and add that in with the upload, even if your CPA didn't specifically request it, because that'll save the back and forth on the back end when they realize they need it and it's just another delay. So if you can just over document, over provide that kind of thing and just give them a bunch to shuffle through, that's always going to be a better. And then of course, I'm going to say this every time, get a W9 from those investors when you're when you're signing them into the deal, when you're when they're joining the deal. That's the information you need to put on the K1 so that's going to help. But Brandon, you mentioned it's not always the cost seg, but it can be the cost seg or any third party report. So that's item number 3 on my list of 5 is if we know, you know, we just bought a property in this entity and we're going to file a tax return, it's going to be on time. We know that we want a cost seg done on the property, but we drug our feet. And now the cost seg company is the delay. And really any third party reporting for that matter, anybody who you're engaging for a study. So we're thinking like R&D tax credits are a pretty common one, 45L and 170D for our developer listeners out there who are maybe doing energy efficient stuff. Anything where you're engaging more than one person, I think it's best to know that ahead of time and engage it the moment you know. I'd rather be sitting on a cost seg study report for months before we need it than the reverse. And I've got a couple scenarios like that right now where we're to the finish line. You know, we've got everything we need. All the financials are in. It's just a matter of we're waiting for, in in my case, it happens to be an improvement study. So those are the things that they can get to you. Those third-party reports would be item number three. And the key here, though, is that you said, I know I'm going to get a cost segregation study done. And you typically only know if, one, you're buying large assets and you have a ton of investors, or two, you have proactive tax advice, right? So if you don't have an accountant that you can speak with proactively, hit us up. But it's an important distinction because if I know I'm getting a cost seg study, I can go ahead and engage with it. But if I don't know, what's going to happen is the cost seg guys, and, and you know, not to rag on them. They have a business to run, but they will sometimes reach out to you in December and say, time is running out to get a cost segregation study done. You have to get it done by the end of December. And really what they're trying to do is is hit sales quotas. <laughs> right. Time's not running out. You, you can get a cost segregation study performed until the day that you file your return with extensions. So you have plenty of time 
to get a cost seg study done on a property that you placed in the service last year. But if you know you're going to get it done, go ahead and pull the trigger on it. Don't wait. Exactly. That's a great point. That's a great point. So number four, it's all about delays in reviewing the final product. And, you know, because that's like the last thing that you do before we're signing it and sending it to the IRS. Somebody's got to review it. Either it's it's the taxpayer or it's their controller or CFO. Somebody's responsible for that. And there should be a process in place. And that should be identified from the very beginning. Because that sometimes there's a little bit of ambiguity on the back end where maybe if you have a CPA provider and it wasn't explicitly stated on the front end, you know, they might send all of the documentation to the owner by default. And if you're an owner, you've got a lot to worry about. It might sit in your inbox for a few days. And then once you finally realize it, you say, hey, look, that should actually go to the controller. And then it's, let's recall it, let's shuffle around. So I like to have that conversation on the very first day that we're deciding to engage. It's who's the responsible party? Who's going to be reviewing this on the back end? And we actually utilize portal systems at our firm. So it's a matter of let's get them on the portal. Let's tell them when they can expect it on the portal and tell them the turnaround expectations. So if we send it to you for review, we're hoping to get it back in, let's say, 48 hours or something like that. Those conversations, albeit small, can save huge amount of back and forth. Yep. Yep. And by the way, uh, <laughs> if you receive a tax return for a large or even large-ish partnership, it's going to feel pretty daunting. Do the best to you know do a once-over review, but don't be scared to hit your CPA up and say, hey, can we jump on a call? And can you walk me through this? Like, Can you present to me what's in this and what's important for me to consider and understand? I mean, some of these partnership returns literally go thousands of pages. So that's going to be extremely challenging for you to review. But you definitely want to make sure that your balance sheet's right. You want to make sure that the ownership's right, the cap table's right. And you want to take a look at those state returns too. Because if you are investing in one state, but you have partners from a bunch of different states, you probably have state nexus and you're probably having to file in a bunch of different states. And you you need to make sure that you understand why and how much money you're now sending to these other states because you have those partners, because that is typically a surprise tax bill for some folks. Exactly. No, that's huge. Number five, which is our next one, is my favorite one because it's a little bit it's unlike the others because it's putting the onus back on the taxpayer, back on the client. And it's how do you make sure that your CPA is not just dreading to do your work, right? So item number five is a potential roadblock is that you're not a great client, uh, to put it bluntly. So what does that mean? Let's say that you've got a great relationship with your CPA, but uh, the senior on that team knows that you're going to be the disorganized one. You can respond to their emails in a timely fashion. When you do, it might be disjointed. And, you know, that is not somebody who that senior or that associate is going to prioritize. It's a little bit strange to mention it that way, but it is very important. How do you become the client that every CPA wants to work with? Because it is a two-way street. I'll actually echo that, not to suggest that people need to send me stuff here, but there is a client that once a year sends me a nice bottle of bourbon. I always pick up that client's phone call. <laughs> yeah. Thinking, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> but you're, you're right though. It, it, you don't have to like go out of your way or anything. I mean, that that's right. like super nice. You don't have to do that, but just be pleasant to work with. Like we, it's interesting. Every once in a while, we run across prospective clients who have like a superiority complex and they just hate being told no. But like for us, it's like, what well, we don't want to subject our team to like this abuse, you know, just be nice. Just, just, you know, grace and kindness. It's a core value of ours. Treat people gracefully and kind and be present during the process so that we can complete the information timely, get the stuff to you so that you can get it all out to your investors. 
I feel like that's just a basic working expectation, but I think people deprioritize tax and accounting. Not everybody by any means, but some people do. Luckily, I have a positive spin to this too. I have a recent example, and I won't say any names. If they're listening, they'll know who they are. But I had a recent example of a new client who during the conversation I had, and it was actually with the controller, I could just tell how seriously they took our work and how organized they were making their files for us and and to make our lives easier. And I told her point blank, I said, not only am I excited to work with you because it's going to be a huge awesome relationship for both of us. I'm excited to put my staff on this because I know they're going to learn from it. They're not going to be dreading it. They're going to get a really clean experience on how this type of thing can be done. So that let's say that in 10 years, they're not even a CPA anymore. Maybe they're running their own real estate business. They can use this as an example of something that they learn from, right? And they can see this and and it really had a positive impact on them. These things matter. And now I know that that client is number one on my priority to make sure that we're hitting them. We're delivering a good product, you know, that kind of thing. It's going to be top of mind. So that's, it's super important. These things matter. Love it. Good stuff. I see you have a bonus tip here. You want to share what that is? Yes. So you have to choose the right firm because all these things that can come up can be firm dependent. So how do you know if on the front end, when you're choosing which firm to work with, if you're going to maybe have some, like what red flags should you look out for to avoid some of these pitfalls, right? And so I have some things that you can maybe ask during that interview process when you're looking for a new CPA firm that might be helpful to identify these things. One thing that you can ask is ask what system they have in place to manage workflow effectively. And be specific. So what softwares, you know, what does this look like? How do you know uh, what's on everybody's plate? If they don't have a very articulate answer, that could be a red flag. Well, most will not have a very articulate answer to that. So they're going to be like, what do you what do you mean? And you're going to say, well, just how do you manage projects? And they're going to be like, oh, I, yeah. <laughs> they're not yeah. going to be able to yeah. tell you. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you think about like uh, other companies, you know, like uh, engineering firms, how do they manage tasks? They've got a very rigorous task management software typically. So why shouldn't a CPA? Why shouldn't any professional service provider? So you want to be working with somebody who does, right? And by the way, like I just want to add one more piece to this. I now consult a bunch of CPA firms. So this is coming from a place of experience, not just like, oh, work with our firm because we're the best. Even though I think that's true. But uh, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> we, we are. Yeah. Anyway, we'll keep going. <laughs> Yeah, I got two more two more interview questions, and I hope you guys use this on your next CPA interview when you're looking for a new CPA. So the second one is ask them directly who's going to be working on the project. That will indicate to you whether they're thinking about capacity, they're thinking about staffing, and obviously you'd want to meet that person too if you're just trying to decide who to work with, right? So that is going to give you a lot of clarity on how far ahead that they think, right? And if they actually are equipped to take on the work or if they're just selling and hoping like mad that they'll be able to fill up the staffing on the back end, right? Which is something we've seen a lot, especially as staffing becomes difficult in the CPA profession. So that's another big one. And the the last one was timing. And this one's simple, but a lot of people might not have a good answer for it. If you want your returns done timely, if it's an entity, that means by March 15th, ask them, just say, out of all of the returns you do, what percentage do you get done before 315? I know my percentage as a tax manager. I can tell them that percentage and I'm confident in that number because that's what's backed historically. If they don't know that percentage or they tell you the percentage and it seems low, that's probably a bad sign that a lot of their work gets drug out into the summer. Extensions are the power to extend is abused, things of that sort. So that's just my three tips. And on the extension piece, there's a survey called the Rosenberg survey. That survey is a bunch of accounting firms, uh, large and small. And I believe 
that the benchmark for the industry is completing 42% of all the returns by April 15th. So that factors in business and individual as well. And if you are running a large deal, you probably want to be higher than 42%. On the individual side, it's okay to be lower. But if you're running a, a large deal with a lot of investors, you're going to want that firm to be pretty confident that they can complete your return by 315 or shortly thereafter. And shortly thereafter can go into May, end of May. That's okay too. But if you start kicking it down into the end of summer and even later than that, you're just going to be dealing with a lot of investors that are complaining and your reputation is the number one thing that you need to protect if you're in the business of using other people's capital to buy deals. So just keep that in mind too. And it's interesting on your list, Dylan, that you didn't mention anything about asking technical questions, which I love because I think what happens is people Google, how do I vet my CPA? And then a lot of questions come up about make sure that they understand your situation. But I think if you ask a CPA about real estate professional status, entity structuring, I know more technical stuff than you and I can BS my way through it, even if I don't know what I'm talking about and it's going to sound good to you. Okay. Right. So, so do what Dylan is suggesting here. And in, instead of asking technical questions, ask questions about the relationship, expectations in terms of communication and timing, how workflow is managed. If you asked us how workflow is managed, we're going to tell you all about how we manage data to project workflow and capacity. And it's just a different conversation than tell me about bonus depreciation to make sure that you know your stuff. If you're not confident that somebody doesn't know their stuff, why even be on the call? Right. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a very good point. You know, I appreciate that. So with that, I think that does it for our list of five, but we always want to close these episodes out with a streamlined spotlight. We don't have a guest today, but I do have a streamlined spotlight, so I'll share it. So what technology have I most recently adopted that streamlines my business or professional workflow that has made my life more effective? Brandon, if you have one too, but mine has been Notion Automation and Learning Markdown. For those of you who don't know, Markdown is like a shorthand way to type different formatting. I know it's simple, but you know, mastering Notion automation and learning Markdown has really made my ability to keep my to-do lists and document creation and emails because our email client, it supports Markdown as well. We use Front here at Hall CPA. So learning Markdown has been huge. And I think it's, it's changing the game of how I do things efficiently in that sense. Very cool. Very cool. Keep doing that. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in to today's episode. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Major League Real Estate Podcast. There are three ways that you can connect with us. If you're interested in getting email updates on upcoming shows, go to www.mlrepodcast.com and subscribe there. If you'd like to explore a tax and accounting relationship with our CPA firm, you can go to www.therealestatecpa.com slash MLRE and fill out the web form to get started. And if you'd like to connect with Dylan or I on social media, you can find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Just search Dylan Brown CPA or Brandon Hall CPA. Shoot us a request. We'd love to connect. We'll see you next time.